Hey, it's Metal Dave with you, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, in which we geek out on all things rock and roll. Jason, how are you, man? What's up, man? I'm doing good. Um, you know, doing my thing. I've been, uh, you know, recording some and writing some and uh, working some. How about you? Yeah. Good mix of stuff. Uh, about the same, working, living, etc. I will say that uh, I've been listening to the latest album from one of your bands, Igniter, and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Not to uh, turn this into an Igniter plug, but uh, that's a great album. And for anyone Thank out you. there that's not familiar with it, uh, it is everything you love about the new wave of British heavy metal brought up to date and uh and spit out by a great band great players and of course jason on lead vocal tell them the title jason uh the golden age <clears throat> let me start over the golden age of black <laughs> magic the golden uh, age of black magic the golden age of black magic um so in Igniter, you know, the, the idea is to just be as metal as you can, but within the realm of, uh, of you know, part, being particular to, like, the styles of what you would call sword metal or Dungeons and Dragons or leather and studs or denim and leather, or as there's a popular moniker that people use, true metal. You yeah, know, bullet belts and long hair and screaming vocals and all of the above. But, you know, heavy on the King Diamond, heavy on the Dio. Um, Igniter adds a thrash element. Uh, Igniter has the drummer, uh, Pat Doyle, who was in punk rock legends, The Offenders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a little older than we are. And he got to see a lot of the early metal bands come through Texas in the late 70s and early 80s when we were kind of mom how come i can't go to the concert you know that was <laughs> so yeah he got to see the good shit when it was good yeah uh, but thanks for thanks for the plug um, yeah it's we a can great... talk about that again some other time yeah it's a great album it's been in heavy rotation here at my house so uh i uh i also realized that i had a hard time picking a favorite song which is always the mark of a great record so uh uh it'll get many more spins and uh, for those of you listening out there not familiar, it is, uh, it's Iron Maiden, it's Judas Priest, it's Saxon, it's Dio, it's Tigers of Pantang, and, uh, and it's got some thrash to it. So check it out if you get a chance, Golden Age of Black Magic. Uh, we've got a great show today. Man, I feel like we're going to go long on this one, and we'll do our best to stay within our time constraints, but... Uh, Jason and I were talking, and uh, we thought it was a it was time we gave the drummers out there some love. We're going to talk today about some of the great drummers in rock and roll, or at least some of our favorite drummers in rock and roll. I should preface this by saying Jason and I are going to um, acknowledge but speak minimally or sparingly about the obvious, you know, the greats, Neil Peart, John Bonham, Dave Lombardo. Uh, Stuart Copeland. We all acknowledge those guys as being great and fantastic at what they do, but we feel like they get enough love, and rightfully so. But we're going to dig beneath the surface and uh, maybe pull up some drummers that uh, don't often get mentioned in the same breath as some of those other guys or girls, if there's any out there that Jason's got on his list. But Jason, you start. Who you got? Uh, it's it's hard for me. I, I thought about this a little bit before we, we hit record, and there's not one way to go about this. Um, I think people don't realize Iron Maiden probably had more than one drummer prior to Nico McBain, now known as Nico McBrain. Um, but Nico has a deep history as to who he's played with. He he played on a uh, he was in that band Trust, the French band, right. on my favorite Trust album, which is called Savage. He played drums on that, and it is an amazing record that deserves a whole other 
uh, colorful vomit of badassness. Like it could be a whole show. If you ask me, <laughs> I could just talk about that record for an hour, but, yeah. um, you know, Clive Burr who right. played on, you know, he's on, uh, he's on the first three records and, yeah. um, he had his own thing. He set up his drums different, um, you know, well, Nico's similar too. Nico, I never saw really, you know, set up, but he he sets up these like high toms on his left, real high, and Clive Bird did that. And I don't think that I have still yet seen any other drummer do that. Um, yeah. It's kind of like um, Chris Slade, ACDC, uh, the firm, uh, many other bands Chris Slade has been in, but. How he sets up those things that look like kick drums, bass drums, yeah. really high on left and right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's crazy looking, but it's not crazy when you see him play those toms on Thunderstruck. Um, yeah. Whether he's, I don't think that he's necessarily doing that weird thing for Thunderstruck. I just think that it's something that he sort of incorporated in hit whatever his thing is. You know, he, he's not Chris Slade without those up there now in my eyes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's his trademark. Yeah. But, but let me just pick, let me just pick one guy to talk about. And it's really, really easy to talk about. And that's Phil Rudd from ACDC. Now, yeah. Phil Rudd is known for playing the song and not the drums. He doesn't do drum solos. And there's a lot of drummers who don't do drum solos. Yeah. Um, which leaves more room for whatever else is happening in front of him. Oh, yeah, they're called songs, right? <laughs> yeah. So without a 10-minute drum solo, a band can add another song, another two songs to their set. Yeah. Which fans really like, especially yeah. fans of ACDC. Um, sure. Phil Rudd is like this master, uh, his, his tempo, he's completely regulated and in control of what's happening in the song. They are the tightest unit because of what he's doing. Now you could go into Simon Wright, uh, and Chris Slade, but you know what? Those guys are not putting their spin on ACDC songs. They're relying on what Phil Rudd did for ACD does for ACDC when they play the songs. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, agree totally. I mean, you were talking about Phil doesn't play uh, drum solos. He barely even plays fills in the song. You know, he's playing the song. Yeah, he's kicking snare and hi hat, and uh, uh, which leads me to uh, another drummer. Uh, uh, Marky Ramone from one of my favorite bands, the Ramones. He's very much, he's he's like the punk rock version of Phil Rudd. He also doesn't do a lot of busy work. He's a uh, kick, snare, and hi-hat, but he's now, in his case, he's going 100 miles an hour on the hi-hat. But he reminds me of Phil Rudd in the sense that, as you say, he plays to the song, he drives the song, and the fact that, you know, the Ramones are, you know, kind of supersonic in their delivery necessitates the speed, but at the heart of it all, he's just a basic drummer who's just supercharged, you know? Um, in his own, in his own right, he has definitely, uh, created the stamina of the Ramones. And, and, the, and what I'm getting at is, is. Yes. Yeah. So Tommy created the style and I think. Yeah. That and I'm not taking away from Marky. That was a a segue that a right. lot of people don't realize that Tommy created that and Marky. Yeah. And I, I'm not a Ramones expert, but I'm telling you, the first couple of things that Tommy did for the Ramones and then ended up being involved in songwriting as well as producing the records. Yeah. Uh, that's an important sort of thing that Marky took and ran with it. And I could, you could say perfected it. Yeah. Added Marky, his thing on Marky. it, but yet still kept it Tommy. Yeah. Marky's acknowledged that he's basically, you know, uh, picked up where Tommy left off and kind of fine tuned it and, and 
probably perfected it. I think even Tommy would acknowledge that. Oh, yeah. uh, speaking of uh, Marky Ramon, a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, Marky, before he joined the Ramones, had a band called Dust. And do you know mm. who was in that band with him? No, I don't. Uh, Richie Wise who you'll recognize from the back of your first three Kiss albums, perhaps, or at wow. least the first two. Richie Wise and uh, uh, Kenny Aronson, I believe, the bass player who went on to play with Billy Squire. Interesting. The guy with the pompadour. Yeah, yeah. So before the Ramones, Marky had a band called Dust, and they were kind of a precursor to like stoner metal doom metal type of thing awesome. and uh so two guys wise a... help help write some kiss songs or yeah he produced okay. the first okay. two albums i think oh damn okay and then, and then kiss produced dress to kill i think yeah um yeah. we're gonna i'm gonna need a fact check on all that stuff but i do know richie wise was in a band with marky ramon it was called dust and richie of course went on to to uh to work with kiss and then kenny of course went on to work with billy squire so well anyway. I, I have a not not to one up you here's some trivia and i may have mentioned this in a past show i don't remember right now but it, that doesn't matter phil rudd it was in a band with angry anderson from rose tattoo yeah phil rudd was was in a band uh with uh angry anderson called Buster Brown. Buster Brown. Now, yes. I don't know anything about <laughs> Buster Brown. I don't know what they sounded like. I'm sure they were just a bluesy rock band, you know, which is yeah, that's a wild great blanket, band name, but, by the way. Yeah, you know? I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear some recordings if there is any, but that is a yeah. true, uh, true, true side note there. Um, you know, let's move on with our drummer thing now. Yeah. I feel like I need to say this out loud, being a rock and roll songwriter and a heavy metal guy and whatever, I'll just blurt it out. If your drummer sucks, your band sucks. If your drummer yeah. is amazing, your band is amazing. And let me also throw some more shit talking on, on that as well. Your singer, your guitar player, your bass player can be mediocre, you know, the skill set of whatever they do can be, you know, you can be a great songwriter and a crappy singer, right? See what I'm trying to say where it goes? You can be an excellent yeah. songwriter and a mediocre bass player. See what I'm trying to say? So, but if your drummer is kick ass, your dudes up front can be just okay. And your band over, like as a, as a big picture, can fucking rule because yeah. your drummer is so good. And this yeah. is a truth when you kind of think about the bands that you're listening. If you think about the band you like, look at the drummer. Think about the drummer. Is that drummer badass? They're holding a lot of weight to the songs, to how the band feels live. The studio, oh, my God, it's yeah. a whole other can of worms, the studio. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, if your drummer takes forever in the studio, think about that. <laughs> That's not really a good sign if your yeah, drummer it's getting takes expensive. Off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's one for you. Uh one of my favorite drummers who doesn't get nearly enough recognition in my opinion. Uh Brian Downey from Thin Lizzy. Oh my god. I think I think that guy is he's he can he's capable of playing so many different styles and playing them well, and he's kind of quiet, but he's busy. Because I think his technique is he's very subtle, but he's really he's complex at the same time. And that's usually that's a weird dynamic. Usually a complex drummer is out front almost, you know, I don't want to say showing off, but the drums are very in your face when they're rolling the toms and double kicking and all this stuff. And he's doing all that, but it's kind of in the background. It somehow stays in the background because he's got such a hand handle on nuance and he's been with them you know throughout their career he, oh, his, yeah. his longevity speaks for itself so props to him for you know staying in the game for the whole career of thin lizzie 
And, uh, yeah, he just never gets mentioned in, in the conversation of great drummers. And I think he's phenomenal. Unsung hero for sure. Yeah. Uh, then Lizzie, you know, people talk about Philip and they, they talk about the guitar duos, you know, uh, the Scott Borum and, uh, you know, and whoever he's paired with on whatever record. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah and uh the gary moore and whoever's he he's paired with and brian robertson etc cetera, etc cetera. they had a couple of different guys snowy white i love chinatown i love yeah. the drumming on chinatown um yeah. but that's not that's uh that's scott with snowy white and that yeah. was i think a one-time thing maybe anyway yeah. but see here i go i'm not talking about brian the drummer, uh, it's. I think that you're. He's an excellent uh, flag to wave in a show like this. He's definitely yeah. unsung, and uh, you know he was probably the first person to help Philip uh, put the song together. Any song, he was probably the first guy to feel that. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. He definitely is worthy of recognition. His back catalog is is stellar. His playing is stellar, and he never gets brought up. So. I'm giving a shout to Brian Downey. Uh, here's another one uh, that I don't think gets near enough recognition. A.J. Perro, Twisted Sister. I, that guy is a beast. Where do, where do we start? Where do we start? Uh, now, here's he the was, thing with A.J. He's like a really physical kind of a pounder. I think the production, unfortunately, on those uh, first few Twisted Sister records uh, even Stay Hungry, which was their big breakthrough, the the production doesn't do the drumming justice. It doesn't do the band justice, really. But uh, but you can hear it in there. You can tell he's in there, and you can tell he's just giving it all. He's just a he's like a fire plug, man. Just a just a banger, a great, strong, physical drummer. And uh, some of the playing on that Stay Hungry album is just you know incredible. So. He's a, he's another I agree. One. I think that his playing on Can't Stop Rock and Roll, which would have been the record prior to that, the drums, I, I'm not starting a, a drum fight here, but you can hear all the drums on that record, and I love the production of that record. That was um, produced by Pete Way, wasn't it? I don't think so. That was it was it was their first major label release. You can't Pete stop did, Maybe he did Under the Blade. Pete Way did one of their early albums. But Pete anyway. Way was involved, uh, Fast Eddie Clark was involved in early production and played on some of their songs with them and everything. They That's another thing, Twisted Sister. We could do a whole show on Twisted Sister and how, <laughs> you know, some of the heaviest, fastest, crazy, thrasher-type rock and roll, you know, metal dudes in the world love Twisted Sister. And they wear it on their sleeve. They talk about it like, you know, we could talk about Kiss. Twisted Sister is equal. And A.J. Perro is an amazing drummer. I mean, do people realize that when A.J. sadly passed away years ago now, the drummer that replaced him for that short time that Twisted Sister decided to stay on the road and finish out a couple of things and even do a slight reunion type thing, which yeah. drummer did they get? Do you know, Dave? The, the ah. drummer from Dream Theater to oh, be man. to be in Twisted Sister, you know what oh, I'm saying? Man. Yeah. Okay, that was... so that will give you the level of type drummer that Twisted Sister actually needed to do Twisted Sister songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Respect. Lot Respect. Going, lot of lot of muscle in Twisted Sister songs, and as you stated earlier, the muscle obviously comes from your drummer, and if he's good and he's pounding. Uh, your songs are going to pound accordingly. So props to uh, the, the departed A.J. Perro. Yeah, uh, incredible. Speaking of pounders, uh, here's another one. Uh, I know you'll have something to say about this guy, Mickey D, Motorhead. Yes. And uh, currently with the Scorpions and, yes. uh, you know, a little trivia for some of our listeners. Of course, they probably know he was with King Diamond before Motorhead, but he was also... He did an album with you. You take it. Who was it? Well, he did a record with Dokken. 
That's correct. Is it? Is that who you were going to say? That's who I was going to say. And your your former bandmate Billy White, I believe, was on that album as well. Yeah, that was. It was technically a Don Dokken record, to be clear. Yeah. It wasn't officially a Dokken record, and it had Peter Balti's from Except on bass. Ah, it had yes. Mickey, Mickey D on drums. It had John Norum from Europe. Yeah. And it had. And it had. A local boy, Billy White, from my old band Watchtower. Yeah. And um, quick note, Watchtower opened for King Diamond in 86 on the Fatal Portrait Tour at the Ritz in downtown Austin, Texas. Um, I want to say that maybe Billy met Mickey on okay. that during the day that day but i don't know any fact about if they exchanged numbers if if mickey was because that was in 86 and then it was uh, it was years later it was like 88 that billy was in los angeles uh looking into recording that record with that band that that don dawkin had created for his solo record. yeah well mickey and, uh, of course just kind of kind of interesting yeah yeah and uh mickey of course best known for his work with motorhead and uh and he's one of those rare drummers that uh i you know saw many 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 times and found myself you know at the gig fixated on the drummer which rarely ever happens and you're talking about a band that has lemmy on stage and i'm fixated on the drummer <laughs> so uh well, well that's just- me that makes sense to me because, um, you know, I feel like for years people would go see Motorhead and, and fix on the on Filthy Taylor. True. They would, yeah. they would fix on him. The thing is, is I must say no disrespect to Phil Taylor because he kind of helped create what Motorhead did and Absolutely. does. When you hear a yeah. Motorhead song, you can't not think about Mickey D when you're listening to Motorhead. But you also, I think about... You know, it's Ace of Spades. When you when you're the drummer on the Ace of Spades record and every album prior to that, you're on. You kind of like made you you created something, right? Yeah, you created so, the template. Yeah. Once again, when Lemmy has a song, he's turning around to Phil Taylor in the in, in the in the original uh, premise of a song and what came to be known as Motorhead. Lemmy's yeah. turning around to Phil Taylor. So that all respect to Phil Taylor, but. Here's what my first thought when you brought up Mickey D and the idea of that little, he's the replacement, right? Yeah. Uh, so Mickey D is, and he's not the, you know, he's not the first replacement that Motorhead ever had. They had a couple of them. But Mickey D is far the better drummer than Phil Taylor. Once again, no yeah. disrespect to Phil Taylor, but yeah. Like it's leaps and bounds, uh, yeah. te- technically how, you know, technically better in every way than Phil Taylor or probably any drummer Motorhead ever had. Lemmy used to say, this is the best drummer I've ever had about Mickey, when he's talking about Mickey D. He'd say it in the microphone in front of thousands yeah. of people. So that's yeah. what makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the best period. I mean, that guy just amazing. And he's He's a great showman. He's fun to watch. He's an amazing player. So, yeah, another another guy that uh, probably doesn't get quite the recognition. He gets more recognition than some of the people that we've been talking about today. But I uh, uh, wanted to throw him in there and give him some love because I've seen him numerous times with Motorhead, as have you. And he's always worth the price of admission himself. So, Props to Mickey D. You know, I'm realizing, and I think it's okay to take a second to say this, we could do a whole other show on drummers, on this thing. We could do, we could talk about 30 drummers easily right now. I mean, I'm going, I have to be straight. I'm not, I'm not going off of a list of drummers right now. Uh, the the what you're putting down and what's just coming to mind when you think about the unsung heroes behind the drum kit when you go see a rock and roll show sometimes oh, oh what are these guys all about the opening band or something you're like holy shit look at this do you hear this drummer this is incredible you know what i mean so this is a yeah. thing i feel like um if you're you know a music fan 
you should be noticing things like the drummer. Yeah. Because if you yeah. don't, it's that's too bad. And it also yeah. makes me think, what are you there for? You know what I mean? Are you there because the songs are great? Perfect, right? That's great. Thank you, drummer. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> but if the songs are great, they're they're having to be um translated somehow to make them great. Yeah. And, and God bless the drummers who who yeah. really help a song come to life when you do that, you know. Yeah. Um, who else you got, Dave? I got another one uh, that I want to throw in. Uh, Nigel Glockler from Saxon. Amen. And uh, I wanted to I, I bring him up because he's a great player and deserves to be mentioned. But uh, when I first heard him, well, the first studio album he did with Saxon was The Power and the Glory. And on that album, there's a song called The Eagle Has Landed. And that song uh, made me a Nigel Glockler fan from the get-go. And the funny thing is, the drums in that song aren't real busy, but they, they, they totally sort of set the mood for the song. It reminds me of like that Phil Collins song, In the Air Tonight, where the oh, drums well. aren't the drums aren't super busy or anything, but they totally set the mood for the song. And that's another thing that a great drummer can do is even when they're laid back and almost sort of not driving the song necessarily physically, but just the the subtlety of the of the each each strike of the drum and the mood you're setting with the song. And of course, that song is very moody. Um, so it requires that, you know. But uh, I always loved that song. It was kind of my introduction to Nigel. Um, I heard him on the, the live album, The Eagle Has Landed. But at that point, he was playing somebody else's material. So the studio song, uh, The Eagle Has Landed on the Power and the Glory record, was him playing his song. And uh, I just thought it was really cool the way he kind of set the tone for this sort of way, uh, especially when Saxon is known, you know, they're biker metal, you know, more hardcore type stuff. So, uh, and then of course he's totally capable of the double kick and the rolling toms and the, you know, they call him the engine room and it's a well-deserved nickname because he can do the whole rolling thunder thing as good as anybody. But, uh, my introduction and the thing I'll always remember my signature song, as far as Nigel Glockler is concerned, is that studio track, the Eagle has landed. Nice. Well, yeah. the the uh, the fact that you're talking about less is more goes takes exactly. us exactly exactly all the way takes us all the way back to Phil Rudd and, and Nigel's playing the song. He's yeah. not. Uh, there's many many places on Saxon Records where the drums are showcased, whether yeah. it be these giant sort of painkiller type in, drum intros. That Scott Travis does, the yeah. you know the thing that things that Nigel does, uh, you know when he's not sh showboating at all, make the song happen. He's making the song have this emotional value and context to it, and that's my whole as a writer. That's my whole play, is what color of paint do I use here that's not going to take away of what's about to happen. What yeah. color of paint sets up the next color or section of the painting? Um, that's important, and yeah. a lot of people well, don't so. notice that, right? And they're not—they're yeah. not really looking for it. They just know they like the song. Well, why do right. they like the song? The drummer is important. Um, yeah. You know, <clears throat> you mentioned in the air tonight. Uh, Phil Collins is an excellent drummer. Uh, yeah. He's an excellent songwriter. Songwriting was really new to him when he was writing that song. That's one of the first songs he ever wrote was that song. The uh, funny side note, my, um, my adult program at the school that I teach music at, we, yeah. we, uh, we were doing that song. And we had the track because, you know, it's a drum machine. It's like a sampled little, you know, sort of drum pad thing that, that he's singing all of those verses over before he gets into the big famous yeah. drum fill, right? The magic yeah. drum drop. Oh, the real drums come in. They actually added some real drums to that 
that sort of like robot track. They added later on, they added some real drums to that. So you can feel the downbeat. You can feel what's happening without giving anything away. Um, and here, here's, you said something that made me go, well, I'm, I'm going to bring up a, a point. Those drums after that big drum fill, they're busier than you think they are. You mentioned that they're not that busy. They're busier than you think they are. If you really listen to what the drummer, the real drummer, the real drums, not the robot track, but what that, yeah. what those drums are doing, you'd be surprised at the kick pattern. It's funky. So there's a lot of ghost notes and things happening. The bass line is following the drums, and there's like they're adding notes every other time. It's technical. There's a lot more to that thing. Everyone should re-listen to that. But once again, Phil Collins is a drummer that doesn't get the respect as a drummer. Everybody just thinks Phil Collins, he's a pop, sing pop yeah. singer. You know what? He's not just <laughs> a pop singer. He's, uh, yeah. he's pretty magical in the songwriting department because that song in the air tonight ain't going anywhere because of the drums. And that's him right. on the drums. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it goes back to that less is more. And, uh, th well, it's like I was saying about Nigel and, and earlier even about Brian Downey. You don't often think about a drummer necessarily. I think a lot of people, especially casual hard rock and heavy metal fans, think of the drummer as this big drooling beast who just drives the drives the machine, you know. But uh, in the case of Nigel and, and Brian Downey and you're bringing up Phil Collins, uh, the drummers are also, the good ones are also very capable of setting a mood and a tone and making uh, a song atmospheric. Uh, so it's it's a lot more than just full speed ahead, you know. And I think uh, I think the guys we're talking about are, are good at doing that. And here's another one, and I'll bring him up because he's my all-time favorite drummer, and he probably does get a lot of love, but not as much as John Bonham. Uh, I'm going with Bill Ward from Black Sabbath, who's another master yeah. at playing just any style of music. I you think know? his bandmates, but those early Sabbath records, I mean, he can play it all. And he's just amazing. A lot of, lot of great stuff from Bill Ward. Don't realize that the first Black Sabbath record is a jazz record. Like the only like song that really lends itself to heavy metal. True. It's got a very jazzy drum sound. Yeah, the only song on there that really lends itself to the epitome of heavy metal is the title track, is the you know, the song Black Sabbath. The other the other songs have elements of many other things, but they're swinging. They're you know there's yeah they're swinging all over the record. Um there's like odd times and these drum, these press rolls. It's like it's like big band stuff going on yeah. all over that record. And yeah. so uh, I'm glad that you brought up Bill Ward. Um, here's some trivia. He plays on the Heaven and Hell record, but not on the Mob Rules record. Right. And that's a whole other show as uh, why, uh, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly about those two you know things what i never you know because a lot of people don't really think about that right. um or they just forget or they just forget yeah. uh but yeah i mean black sabbath swings it's bluesy there's a lot of boogie woogie type things there's a lot of shuffle type things sort of uh the bass the bass on those records is going with what the drums are doing all the time yeah. and a lot of people don't think like that either um but I'm glad that you brought up Bill Ward because he he uh, he doesn't get enough love, and his constant battle on the idea of why he doesn't play in Black Sabbath uh, when Black Sabbath reunites because they're all four still alive. Uh, yeah. That's a whole argument in itself and a whole other show. Yeah, but uh, I'm yeah. really glad that you that you brought that up, and um, he he still plays the song though. You know, he knows when to lay back and let the song take over and be the song. Um, yeah. 
Very, I think very that's the, that's the beauty of a guy like Bill Ward. And again, I'm going to go back to Brian Downey. The, these are guys that can stay quietly busy behind the song. And but if you listen with a fine tuned ear to what's going on with the drums, it's just incredible what's going on back there. But it never interferes with the song. And uh, that that's 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 pretty incredible when you're able to to pull off something like that and then turn around and bang out, you know, uh, you know, a track like Never Say Die or Children of the Grave or something like that, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah a very, very complex drummer, but very subtle and nuanced. I like the way you describe it. It's obvious which one of us is a musician because you use better words than I use. When, when you start to add to what I said, it sounds much better coming from you because you know all the right words. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I wanted to throw this out there um, to piggyback that stuff as well. Is it's interesting to me being uh, I hate using the word educator, but I you know I I talk I talk about styles and and uh, the what's what of music and the beginnings of how a song starts and how to write a song and and why a young person would want to learn this instrument over that instrument or whatever. It's, it's interesting and kind of like a secret funny thing to me that when young people, I'm talking like a seven-year-old, for example, comes in and wants, I want to play the drums, and they get on the drums, and they just think it's hitting stuff <laughs> until, they, until someone who ends up being their drum instructor tells them, it's not about hitting stuff at all because you're the clock and yeah. the clock tells time and a clock has numbers on it and everything is math on the drums. Everything yeah. is math. Music is math. But as soon as that seven-year-old hears that, they're like, oh, they don't <laughs> want to play drums anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to do it anymore unless right. unless they under unless they start to understand there's a pattern that each limb on your body is going to play. Yeah. They just think it's yeah. all limbs at the same time. Bam, 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 you know, yeah. it's just push, push and kick at the same time and it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's uh it's stamina and momentum and dynamic Discipline. and and velocity uh, and, uh, you know, each limb is doing something different, uh, the whole time and you're, and you become this octopus of, yeah. you become a time machine of a certain tempo Yeah, and, uh, it can almost be some, some limbs on, on the same body are playing different tempos than the other limbs are all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you explain it to someone like that, their their mind is blown. They they might throw up a little bit and get ill <laughs> trying to understand what I'm saying. But yeah. once everyone realizes that they don't want to play, tr they just think heavy metal and hard rock or even just music is just like, oh, just banging on wire and wood. Really? Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. just throw yeah. that in there. <laughs> That's why, yeah, it's that's why it's important that the drummer is not unsung ever. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw one more name in the mix, and then uh, and then we could probably move on unless you've got somebody. But, uh, no, this I is a lot. To... I think we're, we're meeting our time stamp here. Yeah, and I wanted to throw in uh, a guy that is a, is a, a friend of ours, uh, because he's just amazing, and that's Felix Griffin from DRI fame. What a monster that guy is! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Uh, I've you know I heard him on the DRI records and knew he was. played a backyard party once here uh, outside of Austin, and at that time he was playing for a local hardcore band called Blunt Force Trauma, and uh, because it was a backyard keg party type atmosphere. I got to like stand right next to him while he was playing and actually watch him work. And it was mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, it oh, wasn't yeah. even human. It wasn't even human. Uh, so, and then, uh, you know, no less than Dave Lombardo from Slayer has called him like one of the best of all time. So that's high praise. If there ever was high praise. 
So when Dave Lombardo thinks you're amazing and cites you as an influence or considers you a peer, uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about Felix Griffin. <laughs> you're you're not wrong about that. Um, I feel like we are spoiled as uh, you know people who live in Central Texas, um, and we we see get to see people like Felix at the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> and and I would lose their shit when when they're you know in the produce, standing next to <laughs> clean up. God, like <laughs> yeah, standing next to Felix Griffin of uh, DRI fame, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, Lombardo uh, brought that hardcore element and that speed element into Slayer from drummers like Felix. Yeah, uh, and Felix became one of Lil's uh, favorite drummers, and we get to say he's our buddy and, and a local guy and someone I, I'm. I mean, I've, I've known about Felix since, you know, he was like, since I was probably, I'm a few years older than him, but he was already killing it at age like 14 and 15 years old. Oh, yeah. He was, so, was like a kid when he was doing those DRI albums, wasn't he? Yeah, he was He was probably 18 or something like that. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. Phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. I got one more that just popped in my head, and then we'll, I love we'll switch it. gears. But... Uh, Here's another guy that, to me, much like Mickey D, is worth the price of admission alone, and that's uh, Chuck Biscuits. And most people know him from his work with Danzig, uh, but he's got a long history of playing in punk rock bands. Uh, he was in DOI. He was in the Circle Jerks for a little bit. Uh, later on, he was in Social Distortion. But he's most recognized for his time and his work in, in Danzig. And, you know, he's he's an interesting his his approach is very interesting. Like most drummers sit on their throne and they're kind of, you know, their torso and their and their thighs are at a 90 degree angle. Right. And he kind of sits up high and over the drums like it's almost like he's sitting on a bar stool <laughs> and. And the way he attacks the drums, if you've ever seen the video for Mother, that Danzig song, that's a great representation of how he plays live. And he's just kind of like this hulking dude that's just sort of looming over the drum kit like a monster. And he's got the long hair that's flying around the whole time, and he's super heavy-handed, uh, kind of like a John Bonham-type guy. Uh, but he's another one that, you know, you go and see Danzig, or at least me, I went and I, I'd go see Danzig and I spend the whole show paying attention to Chuck Biscuits. And that's saying a lot because you know how well Danzig can can, can uh, command a stage, you know. Yeah. So Chuck Biscuits, I got to give him some love. And uh, trivia question for you. Do you know who his brother is or was? Uh, Dimwit. Yes, correct. You are right. I was. Yeah. I was thinking you would know that because you're a big fan of the Four Horsemen, Dimwits. Right, but I, I'm little. I, I'm. I don't know where, where else uh, he would have. Uh, who, who else Dimwit would have played for? I only know him from uh, the Horsemen. Right, so, right. I, I, that, that's my bad. That I don't know any more history on, on, uh, on Dimwit from the Four Horsemen. Um, right. You know, there's quite a few drummers that we mentioned who are no longer with us, not to go back and check those boxes off. But, uh, you know, if, if they got mentioned here and they're no longer with us, uh, you know, it makes you it makes you it makes you appreciate the drummer even more. So uh, it's not National Drummer Day today or anything, but damn it, it should be because we're talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, and as always, there's probably many more we could talk about. Possibly well, on uh, honorable mention, there. honorable mention would be Gene Hoagland. Yeah, yeah, uh, that could take thirty minutes because I'm I'm kind of gay for Gene Hoagland. <laughs> well, I'll throw in an honorable mention. Speaking of drummers who are no longer with us, my honorable mention is Lee Kerslake from Oh yeah, uh, Uriah. Yeah. Uriah Heep and uh, the first two Ozzy albums. So 
just for the drum roll on Over the Mountain alone. <laughs> but of course, that's not fair to him. He's got a great catalog, lots of you know years spent with Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, I'm most familiar with the Ozzy stuff, of course, and those first two albums that he did with Ozzy are, what can you say, they're landmark albums. So uh, here's to uh, Lee Kerslake as well. And the touring band who had Tommy Aldridge, which is, once again, a whole other show. Another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's, uh, let's switch gears. We're going to move on to our final segment. We always end each show with a parting shot of rock, shot of rock and roll. Jason, I was listening to... Uh, Voivod the other night. Uh, speaking of great drummers, um, and uh, I know you're a Voivod fan. So, real quick, as we close out, I was going to ask you to name, if you can, your favorite Voivod album. I love Roar, which is an old, older record. Uh, Roar. Yeah. Um, but I, I am uh, probably my favorite would be Killing Technology. And I just feel like the production got a little better as far as that type of metal goes. I don't really know what kind of metal subgenre category you would you would put Voivod in, but um, they were always put in the same sort of like bowl as bands like Watchtower and uh, you know technical progressive, yeah. uh, lots of math, lots of crazy. Uh, odd Time timings and strange guitar sounds and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, I think that, that that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I was lucky to do uh, a sh one show with Celtic Frost and Voivod uh, in 1986. It blew my mind just to watch them perform the, the, the you know, the th do what they do uh, in front of my face. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the drummer for those listening is his name is Away and uh, does all the artwork as well. So, yeah, I wanted to pick your brain on Voivod. I know you're a fan, and uh, I was listening to them just recently, and I thought I need to ask Jason. I need to pin him to the wall and ask him to pick his favorite Voivod album because I know that's going to be almost impossible. <laughs> but uh, Killing Technology is today's winner. Yes, it is. Uh, all for, right. For I, I got a shot of rock and roll for you. What do, what what's up with, and what do you think about? And this is sort of left field. The band Heaven. What do you know about <laughs> the band Heaven? Yeah, Heaven. Um, I remember when I was growing up in San Antonio, they were like the perennial opening act on the three band arena bills. Like I remember them being. Uh, opening for Motley Crue on the Shout at the Devil tour, and I believe uh, Axe was on that bill as well. And uh, being in San Antonio, Joe Anthony used to play them quite a bit. And uh, what I remember most is that the singer, Alan Fry, is no longer with us. I once read that if there was no such thing as Brian Johnson, he would have got the gig in ACDC. Um, so I don't know if he was, uh, that close, but he was a contender from what I've read. I, and I believe they're from Australia, so that would make some sense, but, uh, not familiar with a lot of their albums. I know they did the Bob Dylan song, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Uh, and in San Antonio, Joe Anthony used to, in the beginning, there was rock and roll where he name checks a bunch of, uh, a bunch of classic metal bands. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's my on, limited knowledge on heaven. Yeah, that's a record called Bent, like heaven yeah. bent, like a, right. like a play on words, hell bent, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool, and I, I really like that record. I feel like there's a cheese factor that would turn someone who might be younger than me off a little bit, but at the time that record came out and you only have a few things to compare it to, you know, to, to yeah. go, no, man, this is good shit. And you play it for someone younger and they're like looking at you, making a face like this is cheese yeah. ball. And, and it does have that about it. And I totally understand why it would be a hard sell to someone 
But if they like Rose Tattoo and they like ACDC and they like Judas Priest and they like that classic tone and sound, they might be yeah. able to see through the Velveeta a little bit. Um, yeah. Alan, in his late years, uh, started emailing me out of the blue, and we became sort of chummy via email, and I couldn't ever really figure that out. I think he was just like a toys fan or something, and he just found my email and knew some people that I knew, and and I think that there's a drummer here in Austin that used to play with Heaven in their later years when Alan was uh, older and kind of settled down. Yeah. Yeah, And then I think that uh, their second record didn't really do what the first record did, and then just kind of faded away. But you're not wrong. I saw Heaven perform one time only on a bill with Judas Priest here in yeah. Austin at the Frank Irwin Center, and that would have been <clears throat> uh, Defenders of the Faith Tour. And I thought they were excellent. And they had Mick Cox, who played on some Rose Tattoo stuff on guitar. Uh, and they were a lot of fun. But I wanted to bring up Heaven because, you know, they're just a cool uh, old school rock band. that with, You know, they were on MTV when MTV was still yeah. fairly new. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they made a mark. They mean something to people around here, at least. And another uh, pretty good hard rock band from Australia. Yeah. Yep. I remember them. And uh, I have Joe Anthony to thank for that. Uh, probably wouldn't have known them otherwise. He was instrumental in playing them on the air in San Antonio, which in turn probably led to those tours that brought them here uh, to do all those uh, opening spots in front of Motley Crue and Judas Priest and whoever else. It seemed like heaven was in San Antonio once every six months as the as the first band on the bill. But, yeah, and you could say yeah. the same about Legs, uh, Legs Diamond, too. And Rick Sanford ended up moving to Texas the way that Alan Fryer moved to Texas, all because of probably Joe Anthony. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of part of his uh, historical marker right now is like, man, if your band's big in San Antonio, you're automatically a Texan. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, even if you're from Australia <laughs> or or Los Angeles, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well Dave, cheers to is, Alan Fryer. Yeah, of course. This has been a lot of fun. Um, Dave, yeah. do you have any parting words? I don't. I just want to uh, thank everyone for tuning in again. Uh, on behalf of myself, Metal Dave Glessner, Jason McMaster, we will catch you the next time on Talk Louder.